Adelaide and Anna. Hello, welcome back to Adelaide and Anna's Advice Podcast. Um, thanks for tuning in again. We had a great time last week. Yeah, and we're really excited to get into even more exciting conversations today. However, th- okay, there's one thing I really felt was kind of, I, I should say about myself since last time. You said you're in a long-term relationship, and I remember saying that I just, I was making better decisions now than before, and that's why I want to talk about these things. So I just wanted to like disclose, disclose my relationship status, which is that I'm in a monogamous relationship uh, with my boyfriend who lives in Norway, and I'm currently here in Maastricht, and we've been together two and a half years. So that's the my my commitment. <laughs> okay. All right. So the first question we have is actually left over from last week. We didn't get to everything. Um, so the first question is, how can you make money as an artist? We could start by referring to this um, uh, presentation that I have made. I When I talk to college students, I think it's really important to talk about the different ways you can make money as an artist, because I remember graduating and kind of feeling lost when I was 22 or, yeah, I think it was 22, um, from college. And so no one had ever told me all the different ways you can make money. It just seemed like teaching and selling artwork, which when you're 22, both of those seem kind of unrealistic. Do you want me to start and then maybe you talk about different ways that you have? Yeah, I think it would be interesting, like from this, these different American perspective, Norwegian perspective, yeah, which are really different. That's true. Go for it. Okay, this list I have is from 2017. Um, so I have three different art museums listed, and I worked at the front desk at one. Um, I had a fellowship in public projects at another, and then w- I taught workshops at a third museum. So some of it was, you know, like I didn't need to be an artist in order to work at the front desk of an art museum, but being an artist helped me, you know, to be able to talk to people who came to the desk about the different types of art we had and what was going on and to maybe like discuss programming that the museum had. Oh, I won an award that year for a biennial at a museum, so that was a significant amount of money that was to be used for the exhibition, which I didn't use at all. And so, uh, meaning? Meaning I saved it? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. And then I got paid to to give an artist talk at an exhibition exhibition space, and I actually negotiated that amount to be higher than the original number because I had taken a class um, through the Regional Arts Commission at in St. Louis about uh, negotiating contracts. Wow. And so I had been invited to have that exhibition right when I was in that class. Like during the break, I checked my email, and I just wrote and said, hey, I'm coming all the way from another city. I don't have a car. I have to rent a car. I just explained different expenses I had. And then I said, if there's any way that you can increase the, the budget, you know, if you can get funding, that would be really helpful. And then she um, doubled it. So that's a good point. Um, Very inspirational. I did editing for an arts magazine. I sold a few pieces um, to local collectors. So someone bought some of my artist books and someone purchased a collage and someone else uh, bought a piece that they saw in an exhibition. And then I occasionally do editing. So a friend you know, had me edit his teaching philosophy and paid me for that. And then I edited for an exhibition catalog. Um, I judged an annual student exhibition at a community college. 
and got paid for that. Oh, and I also taught at two different universities, um, one class at each. So you can see there's a lot of different things. There's teaching classes, workshops, uh, working in customer service at front desks, working in public projects at a museum. What else? And, and what, yeah. where, which are the main numbers here? Now I have a sneak peek at the budget, but for those who they can't see, what are the, uh, the biggest numbers? I mean, in that particular year, because of the award that I won, that's the largest amount. And then the second largest amount was from teaching at universities, and the uh, private university I taught at paid significantly more than the public one. And this award, is this something that you were in a show and then got nominated to, or would you have, did you apply for an award? I applied. It was open to um, artists within a certain region, you know, like within a certain radius of St. Louis. And then 10 finalists were selected and had studio visits with the jury. And then three of us were selected to have the exhibition a year later. Mm. So it opened last summer, mm. around this time. And this is 2017? Yeah, so some of the amounts are really small. Like the smallest amount is $30. Um, but I made this just to show students, you know, the variety of ways, like you can't expect, I mean, I think you can't expect all your income as an American artist to come from one source. And so the more different, the more sources you have and the more versatile you are, like for instance, you know, I'm pretty good at customer service. So I feel like I can always get a job in something like that. And then also I think I'm a pretty good editor and people have asked me and then sometimes I actually, you know, say, hey, I can edit this if you pay me, like you need, you need help. <laughs> mm, okay, that's great. And I, I just think as well when you write down the smaller numbers, it still sort of makes visible sort of what you could do for money. Yeah. And then if there are some parts that is more enjoyable or, yeah, it's I guess it's easier to understand how you can develop in terms of making money when you look at the, the different aspects. And because of these, all these different jobs, I became really visible. I mean, I didn't live in a very big city, but I was just, you know, people were like, I see you all the time. And it's like, yeah, because I was, you know, in the front of house in a museum. And I was in, uh, like, on the weekend, I would be helping with public projects at another museum. And I would go to openings, and I'd have my own openings. And so I was just, like, all over the place. And people would think of me um, when things came up. They would, like, ask me if I wanted to jury an exhibition or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, I think that's also very useful advice in terms that is actually, yeah, that these kind of different roles is making you visible and the visibility then can serve as a, yeah, people will think of you when they're like, oh, I need someone to edit this. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I just saw Adelaide the other day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. How about you? I also have different incomes, um, but I don't know where our listeners are from. But, uh, so I'm a Norwegian citizen and I'm active, like, I do exhibitions and projects and events in Norway and that makes me eligible to apply for Norwegian art grants, which are mostly all of my income, actually. These sort of working grants are available to, uh, to apply for, for all artists and uh, either you have to be active in Norway or be a like a Norwegian citizen abroad. So it's like not necessarily uh, connected to citizenship, but it's connected to like what how you contribute on the Norwegian art scene. So f since I was in, uh, I think it was the last year on my master's, I didn't have any student loans. So I was like, 
working three part-time jobs at different museums. Also, like, <laughs> like you. Uh, but I was also very exhausted, and I was th just really thinking about this question a lot. Like, how can I work with art in a, the w a way that will keep my mental health uh, at, at bay? Mm -hmm. and, and how can I, yeah, make things work? And to me, it was, I guess, because there is this uh, uh, opportunity of, uh, like, uh, public funding. It was, I've never actually worked with a commercial arts scene. And uh, so to me, it was also kind of strategic in a sense that I really tried to figure out, it's like, in what context do I want my art to exist? So it could be either like social context, a political context, or a museum context. But I was really trying to sort of create, uh, I don't know, bonds with these different sort of places or people that I wanted my work to exist in. Um, and because I knew as well that it's not, uh, so far hasn't had like a commercial aspect, it was really important to me also, like not only about money, absolutely, but to sort of create sort of a framework that I would be make sense to put my work and myself in. Because then I was also thinking, on the, on the other hand, like I don't know um, how this art funding will exist in the future um, because of the political situation in all over. Mm -hmm. uh, I've also been thinking that at least, like that I still have sort of um, collaborators or people that I'm sort of affiliated with that I share like set of values and and social ideas so that I still could sort of exist within a, a field so so whether the money comes from sort of education and mediation communication that sort of thing I think that's where I've been wanting to sort of have an income related to my practice but when it comes to uh, to these funding it's like a completely I guess like a an eco or like a system where I spend maybe like 20% like a lot of my time writing these applications and it's like a lot of work and I think I get like uh, one yes per out, out of ten which means like I'm, I submit a lot of them yeah um, so in one way yes it's like shitty administrative work but at the same time to me it's like become like a useful part of my sort of thinking and my development or projects and mm -hmm. I'm talking a lot about my practice and not about the money in one way, but at the same time, it's like very uh, connected. Yeah. Um, but I've been really curious, and in one way, I don't want to know, or like I wonder what will happen when, when this, uh, uh, yeah, when the funding situation would change, like how it would um, affect my work. Mm -hmm. But then. Uh, I don't. I forgot to look at your like your, um, your, your main like n the number of the year. Like I guess it doesn't matter because we're like from different contexts. But sort of the mon the money I live off is, uh, like, uh, about fifty percent of an average Norwegian income, mm -hmm. which is uh, considered. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it's considered, <laughs> but it's Are yeah, that's low to be in poverty. Um, I should check that out, actually. I think one of the most important things you said is that you spend a lot of time applying for funding and that what you get only reflects maybe 10% of, of the things you apply to. 
because I'm the same way. Like I apply, you know, I almost constantly have some deadline, sometimes, you know, two in a day, and I'm constantly applying to things. Like sometimes I'm like, what have I been doing with my time? And then I think about it, and I'm like, oh yeah, like, you know, applications can take, depending on what they ask for, a long time, especially if, to, if you have to reformat your statement or think of it in a different way. Because I think a lot of times people can look, you know, they could be like, oh, look, Anna has so many awards and so much funding, but they don't see when you're sitting there at your computer, um, you know, thinking through what you've been doing and applying. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of effort. Yeah, I think it's kind of important to sort of visualize, <laughs> or is it, yeah, to be clear, like, what kind of work that's in it as well. And one thing that is... Um, also not directly related to the money, but it's definitely related to the motivation. It's also this sort of getting used to rejection. Yep. Because I've noticed that some, some people, uh, uh, people I know will, will be very frustrated, like, oh, I spent weeks for this one application and I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, maybe you should sort of apply to 20 other places and see yeah. what happens. And even when discussing with people that are not artists, I will ask them, like, how many, like, rejections have you had? And some people, like, if, if they work in a different field, they're, like, just not used to rejection the same yeah. way. And I think that sort of helps as well in just sort of get used to the fact that uh, a lot of people are not <laughs> interested. Yeah. And then you just uh, go on. Right. And I think you have to apply to so many things that you forget what you applied to. And when you get rejected, you're like, oh, yeah, I applied to that thing. Yeah. Like, that doesn't really, okay, yeah. I'm fine. I usually delete the email immediately. Um, <laughs> I, I usually am like, oh, man. And, you know, maybe, maybe like a little sad for a day, depending on how, because I always have these fantasy lives. Like, oh, if I get this, then oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to live here and do this. And, you know, just like get over that fantasy life closing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we have a, some deadlines. And it's for, yeah. Uh, yeah, sometimes I really want something, and then it's, but usually I, yeah, it's also nice to get something that you forgot you applied to. Yeah, that's the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so maybe we should move on to the next question, which is related, Yeah. but less about making money and more about spending money, I guess. Um, how do you budget as an artist? Um, okay, I can start with this one. Mm -hmm. I generally... Uh, do my best to use the production money I have for one set uh, production and use that solely on the production. Mm -hmm. And I, to me, like one of the most important things for me, especially in collaboration, is to uh, pay everyone that I work with, which is also uh, when we're discussing these different sort of uh, starting points, is that if I get get production money for like a larger project I will like I always make sure to write in like fees for myself and the others and then you still get paid less but then really like strive to make it like a decent but yeah I, I do for every project I'll have different uh, uh, budgets and I always also make sure to have these um, what's it called yeah, unforeseen costs mm -hmm. and everything and, uh, and that should be like 10% or something because you yeah, you really don't know what's mm -hmm. <laughs> what's gonna happen. Yeah. And then I generally, I think how you budget as an artist, like life uh, is also a, a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And I just really try to to find ways to to sort of cut down on these um, uh, what's it called? These costs that come every month. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. recurring costs. Yeah, and and sort of have predictability in that, so that I can uh, uh, be less have to be less predictable with my art. Mm-hmm. So like creating less freedom in one sense. Uh, in my personal life, or like material costs in <laughs> material, as in makeup, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but then instead uh, sort of put it for the arts, and then I can be less um, yeah have more freedom in that yeah. department. I think maybe we talked a little bit about this last week. I don't know if it was on the podcast or just in general, but we were talking about like uh, keeping your life simple and not. Uh, what is it called? Like not having a hedonistic adaptation where when you make more money you just increase your lifestyle. Do you, does that sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked yeah. about it on the podcast. Um, so for me, budgeting as an artist started, and when I say as an artist, I don't mean uh, just you know my practice. I mean my whole life because it's basically that's what it is. Yeah. Um, it started when I was about 23 and. My partner and I lived in New Zealand, and um, we worked in customer service jobs. So, like, I worked at a uh, a juice bar and an art museum and a catering company all at the same time. Um, but then, at the end of each pay cycle, we would have no money, and <laughs> it didn't make sense to me. I'm like, I'm working three jobs. You know, like Wellington's an expensive city, but it still didn't make sense. And so, we started writing down everything that we spent, and we realized. In one month, we had spent um, $400, like New Zealand dollars, on snacks. Wow. <laughs> you know, just like you have a yeah, long yeah. day at work, and then you walk by a convenience store, and you're like, oh, I'm going to get an ice cream bar, and I'm going to get a whatever. And just like buying little snacks, spent yeah, that much yeah, money. Yeah. And I think a lot of people probably, you know, they if they were to calculate how much they spent on alcohol or going out with their friends, it would be shocking. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, if you're like, where's all my money going, and you don't actually keep track, then you don't know where you need to change. And so when I did that, I was really shocked. I was just like, what, <laughs> you know? Like mm. you don't expect, like that sounds outrageous. Um, so then I started like planning ahead for what I would have on me or making my own, you know, like if I found I was buying like a muffin every day, then I would just make my own muffins at home and freeze them and then just take one every day when I left. Um, and then we, we went, I started using, first it was paper, then a spreadsheet, then my, brother had started using this program called you need a budget and um, at that point you only paid once and then you just paid again whenever the whenever they updated the uh, software so you could have it for years so from probably 2015 until recently you know I paid once I think it was like $50 or something and then you have this program and you can sync it with your phone and if you have a partner you can sync it you know it's all gets synced through Dropbox um, now they have a subscription-based model that works off of the just out, out of, of uh, the internet rather than like it doesn't go through Dropbox anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you know, I think I always advise people to that it's totally worth it to have that. Do you upload upload things, or is it connected to your banking, or how does it work? It can be connected to your bank, but I prefer not to do that. Um, so I put in every purchase. Like, if I spend $1 on something, I put it in there. Because mm. I want to know where all my money's going. And then it has really cool reports where you can see your income versus your expenses. You can see your net worth. Um, you can make your own categories. So, like, I have a whole art category. And then, for instance, like, if I have a grant to do a specific project, 
I can make a category with the name of that and then the amount that I received. And then whenever I buy something, it comes from that category. And so I can see how much I have left right away. Wow, this is great. I also did in, yeah, in 2015, mm -hmm. I did a, kept all my receipts mm -hmm. to do like to understand like what, what happens mm -hmm. with my money. And even more than um, habit purchases, I notice that I have a tendency to, I don't know, I haven't checked it in later on if it's like a concurse or if it's the same time as like my ovulation or something, <laughs> but it really is like maybe once a month or some points I will like spend more money mm -hmm. on like uh, something not useful. Is it related to when you get paid? No, not necessarily. Okay. It might have to do with my cycle. Mm -hmm. So it's like, so then I was like, okay, uh, more than like these uh, expensive habits, it's like I just have to, on some days, like I might leave my card at home. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I do with things that I think of as, you know, expensive things that I don't need is I tell myself if I still want it in a year, then I can have it. I want that uh, app. <laughs> they now... Um, do it on a yearly payment or a monthly payment, so it's more expensive, but I think it's really worth it. And when it comes to taxes, um, you can just click on the reports and then, you know, at least for, um, I don't know how taxes work in Norway, but at least for American artists, you can see, like it's very easy for me to separate things into categories and then um, see what I can write off. Mm. So like I have art supplies category, residencies, um, and then you can put little flags, like so like a green flag for me means it's art related. So if I you know, went to lunch with someone and we were talking about something uh, you know, professional, then I would mark it with that. Mm. And so then I can have a whole category of like expenses from, um, you know, they're not directly, they're not art supplies or like flights to go to you know, residency or exhibition, but they're related and they can be yeah. written off. Great. Is there something uh, else we should uh, talk about on this budget as an artist? Um, oh, I do have another thing. So I, I have <laughs> my um, theory about unexpected money. So this is like money you didn't expect to come your way at all, like an award or you know an extra job or something that just popped up, is to, I put 10% of it in my retirement. And then I also save part of it, not always like a, s a certain percentage, but I always make sure to put 10% in my retirement because, um, you know, I don't have an office job where I have like a 401k or, you know, retirement plan. So I have to plan for myself. And I obviously don't get to put as much away as someone who has a stable job, but like I try to um, put money every year. Yeah, I think uh, with these kind of like savings and retirement, I think it can be really useful to just get to know sort of what kind of rights you have in whatever country you you sort of which system you're under to figure out like what is the most reasonable way to to save maybe um, so when I discussed this with my bank I realized like with my uh, income which is lower than regularly it doesn't actually make sense to me to have like a specific retirement fund uh, or like uh, a savings account, mm -hmm. but instead to save like in a regular saving fund. That would make more sense for someone with my uh, type of income. In Norway. Yeah, so I think it can be really useful also to sort of yeah compare your different options uh, and maybe check with also with different banks because mm -hmm. the 
friendly ones might not have the best. <laughs> the better service doesn't necessarily mean better deals. Do your own research. In the, um, I put my money into a Roth IRA for retirement, and I do that because it's a, in the U.S. it's a, um, a retirement fund that you can't access until you're 59 and a half. And so it's a way, if I just had it in savings, it could be tempting to use it for something, you know, like my biggest expense is travel. Mm -hmm. um, so I put it away there, and then to me it's gone until I'm old. Yeah. Okay, so the relationship, one of the relationship questions we have this week is, how do you stay connected to a partner while living far away from them? I guess the, the person who asks wants uh, to sort of have like an intimate relationship while uh, a different, you're in a different place. I can talk about some of my, uh, like the, the setup we have in my relationship, which has been working really well. To me, I think it's been really important to, to know uh, sort of the, uh, when you'll see each other again. Uh, so it becomes very, uh, so that so you also know that this uh, distance is temporary, or, or if it's not, if it is not temporary, at least like, it's good to know sort of what your, <laughs> what the conditions are mm -hmm. uh, uh, of the relationship, and then to have some sort of um, uh, planned or that you can know when you can meet, so you can sort of have some sort of everyday life together, even though you're apart. Um, so how do you stay connected? So um, we have regular times where we talk, uh, and then we have uh, uh, we do like uh, ordinary things together. Or sometimes, like when I walk to my studio, I'll uh, talk to my partner. Then mm -hmm. um, we make sure to sort of have some shared experiences and discuss them mm -hmm. while yeah while apart. I guess another challenge would be if you were in a different time zone, because you're in the same or similar yeah. time zone, correct? Yeah, we're in yeah. the same time zone. Yeah. Do you have any time zone advice? <laughs> <laughs> um, that can be really tough, because even talking to my family while I've been um, abroad has been a challenge, because most of them live on the West Coast in the U.S., and um, I think it's a nine-hour difference. So like my niece and nephew, there's a very small window where I can talk to them. It's either you know when it's 7 a.m. for them and they're going to school, or right before bed, 7 p.m., um, which is the middle of the night for me. So I try to, if I think of them around, uh, I think it's 4 o'clock, then I'll just call and see. And usually they're at home. It's just like being aware. I guess the biggest thing is to be aware of the time zone because I've had instances where uh, family members call me in the middle of the night. You know, this has, doesn't happen so much anymore, but when I lived in New Zealand, they would just be like, oh, I was thinking of you. I'm like, uh, it's 4 a.m., you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess staying connected, it's going to be different for, for different people. For me um, and my partner, it's the thing that's difficult is he doesn't like to talk on the phone. And it's almost like he feels like it, it has to be... Uh, epic conversation or, you know, when I just want it to be like how it would be if we were together in person. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, what did you do today? You know, that type of thing. And he just feels like he's stuck on the phone and he can't move. Or, I mean, even though you can, mm -hmm. but like, you know, that it has to be like interesting or exciting or something.
so I guess the biggest thing has been to just communicate like how much it means to me to feel connected because to him we could be apart for months and then show up and then everything returns to normal because that's how it is but for me that doesn't sit well like I need to you know be connected I want to know what his day is like and I want him to know about my day so mm. just communicating how important it is to me has been helpful because it's you know it's been like we are apart I wouldn't say quite often but like you know every year we're apart at least a month or a few months when one of us is doing mm. a residency far away yeah I think I'm on the like uh, a little similar to you in that sense that I like yeah I want sort of sort of an ordinary conversation to feel connected mm -hmm. and I also don't have like a very strong visual memory it, yeah it can feel really confusing if I if I meet someone and I haven't um, s seen them or talked to them for a while and then I see them again I can feel like a little uh, at une like unease because mm -hmm. like don't recognize them. Hmm. <laughs> and so this uh, everyday contact is really important to me. I think, so with the time zone, I don't know how I would deal with it, like sending voice messages or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but to sort of feel uh, connected in an everyday sense. Um, but I guess it totally depends on the relationship. If you uh, have a more passionate relationship, I guess it wouldn't be as interesting to hear about uh, like um, your poor dinner plans, but uh, if you're more inclined to <laughs> <laughs> do that kind of closeness, yeah. Yeah. There is a second part to this question. Oh, there's no more, more multiple parts. So what are things that help you know you want to be with a partner long term? Oh. So maybe this is a better question for you, since I'm already long-term. Yeah. I figured that out a long time ago. Um, yes. I think now I am in my first relationship that, I, <laughs> that I'm like visualizing long-term. Uh, so I can talk from my own experience. Oh, and there's this other thing I need to disclose, because, uh, uh, which maybe should be at the beginning of the show, but I know that um, I'm, I've been feeding myself with advices from my master, <laughs> Dan Savage, for years. So sometimes I notice myself that I'm like just sort of repeating things that I've learned from him. But I guess that's just a, a compliment to my sex-positive idol. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, okay, so how do you know you want to be with a partner long term? So I am interested in sustainability on all levels. And I think for something like a relationship to, to, to be long-term or to know that you want, to, want it to be long-term is that it, uh, it's not too heavy. Mm. Uh, that it's, uh, and that it's safe. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's a place where you know you can develop yourself and sort of become, uh, yeah, to develop, to grow yourself. Yeah. Um, so it's so that this long term means um, that you will grow instead of like stop. Mm -hmm. Like long term doesn't mean that it's like it's all like this department of your life. It's going to be like this, but instead, uh, it creates a space. I think that's a good way of thinking 
yeah, I think for me... How did long-term happen to you? Um, well, my partner's really a calming presence. And that's, you know, like, been great for me. Someone who's just really level-headed and genuinely kind and uh, loving. Um, and it's really different. Like, I find myself... Um, constantly having to remind myself that like we're on the same team because I grew up in a house where you didn't know if someone always had your best interest at heart like someone you know like if someone was out to hurt you or or not so I had this confusing relationship with the people who loved me um, and that I loved hurting me and like not accidentally hurting me but like intentionally hurting me um, and that these roles could sort of be mixed up yeah yeah and so to see that there's someone, you know, to discover that there was someone who had no intention of hurting me at all, ever, <laughs> um, you know, I, I agree with what you say about safety, like someone that you feel safe with. I think what you said about sustainability, too, and, and you didn't use the word easiness. What did, you, what did you say? What did I say? Not heavy. Not heavy, yeah, because life is already... It is already It's already heavy. heavy, and I'm sure, you know, throughout life, you and with your partner you encounter things that are heavy like there's going to be losses and um you know struggles but the everydayness of being with that person in good times shouldn't be heavy no yeah no I'm really happy you said that there will be heavy times because yeah mm -hmm. there will yeah and there's something about like when it's heavy you know that there are other days that won't be heavy because mm -hmm. there is this um there is like this lightness or this maybe not easy but like an ease at the core yeah um I think the you have to be with someone that you're comfortable with it might take a little time but I think it's strange when people are in a long-term relationship and they they hide very basic things about themselves from the person like they won't go to the bathroom in front of them or they like wake up and put on makeup before the other person wakes up just things that are like prevent you from just living your life the way you I don't want to say the way you would as if you're alone but like not having this uh hidden self mm. and one way I think it's like uh it's somewhat somehow a little bit relates to <laughs> I haven't thought about this before but like maybe the way I think of um, money or budgeting these prioritizations like um uh that sort of I want to keep my energy for where it's important and with a relationship, like for example, uh, what kind of uh, what kind of energy do I want to put in a relationship? Is it to try try to be this way to satisfy my partner, or can it be to, or can you be with your partner in a way that you don't have to try to be something else? Mm -hmm. um, and then if you, and when you don't spend your energy and trying too hard to do something that's difficult, whether it's fighting or putting on, or looking really good, I don't know, <laughs> whatever it is that uh, doesn't feel productive to yourself, then instead you can like invest it. I mean, bad to use the word invest maybe, no. But to, yeah, invest in it for something that's good for both of you. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that made sense. I think so. Okay. <laughs> and I think also someone, you know, like in terms of deciding whether you want to be with someone long term, um, do they seem to, uh, I guess in a way, be your cheerleader? Like, are they excited when you're changing or growing or developing? And are they someone you could change with? Or do they expect you to stay the same forever? Mm. You know, because if, 
I think if you're in a good relationship, I mean, I, I think over your life you should change. Like, the more you learn, you make better decisions and, um, you know, hopefully become, like, more compassionate and, um, like, will that person feed into that or will they be threatened if you, by you, by you changing mm-hmm. in positive ways? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Cheerleader. <laughs> I, I can say something... Uh, so I grew up in a, a quite conservative religious context, and I remember I learned that there was this um, that there are many people who are the right for you, and you just have to choose. And at the same time, if you sort of mix this up with sort of sex negativity, it can be a, a, a little poisonous, <laughs> actually. So so I decided early to get married. So I was married for a couple of years in my early twenties, and it had to. Lo- it was a lot related to uh, like less emotional uh, arguments. Like I would think uh, this is long term because this person has these and these qualities, mm-hmm. uh, so it's good for me. <laughs> so it, it was like uh, I had to use all these arguments to myself to 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 somehow make a logic. Oh, this should be long term. But these like should and yeah, I think this if you have to use that kind of reasoning uh, to think should I be with this person long term, like then it's yeah maybe not the match <laughs> you want. Yeah. Um, yeah, you shouldn't have to justify in the beginning mm-hmm. of a relationship. But I guess then also depends like how long how long in you are in a relationship when you're asking this question. Yeah. Um, it seems this question seems maybe like. Well, I guess it could be the beginning of a relationship, but it could also be someone you've been with for a long time and you're trying to decide, like... Because a lot of times people base things on other people they know, you know? A lot of people don't know what goes on in other relationships, naturally. So they might think, like, oh, you know, is this normal to feel this way, like, to be questioning this, or should I just automatically know I want to be with someone? Because, hmm. I don't know, I think society tells us a lot of times that yeah. it should be easier than they are. I guess as well, the idea of long term is a value for many people, but at the same time, here in the question, yeah, yeah, I mean, like long term isn't necessarily the best thing for everyone. Mm-hmm. And like, even though something is not for long term, doesn't mean that it's not valuable or. I think maybe. The last thing I'll say about this will lead into the next part of this person's question, because it's a three-question question. question. Um, I think to be with someone long-term, you have to be able to talk about anything, because you're going to face a lot of things, and you need to be comfortable talking about uh, money. You need to be comfortable talking about what you want and what you need and um, about your body. And the next part of the question is, um, so they said, if you're up for sex questions, what are things that help? as a woman, if you're having trouble climaxing, especially with a partner, when you're good by yourself. So I think, you know, if you're going to be asking this question, you need to be, um, you need to be comfortable talking about sex with your partner, yeah. with a long-term partner. I mean, yeah. even short-term, but especially a long-term partner, because especially if it's a monogamous relationship, because that's the one person that you're going to be having sex with. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because this is all from the same person. Yeah. Okay. It seems like there are some conversations ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and dealing with this 
uh, question in particular. Um, it's I think it's really important, especially for people with uh, uh, women or people with vaginas, that most people don't come through penetration. So it's also, um, uh, it sounds in the question, or I assume, yeah. that that's what they're asking about. So that's really not like, um, most people do have uh, trouble climaxing if it's only by penetration. Yeah. And I think, yeah, there's a lot of unrealistic expectations for sex that come from watching movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're very, uh, they're very centered around uh, male orgasm when you see, like, uh, heterosexual love scenes in movies because the sex ends when the man comes, yeah. <laughs> which is completely ridiculous. Because it doesn't end. <laughs> <laughs> so basically there's a part where, and now I'm also assuming that the, yeah, that the partner is male as it says like as a woman earlier on mm -hmm. what the person is also saying that it works uh, yeah that the person is like good by themselves so um, I'm wondering does that mean that the person does climax when the person is masturbating on it by her herself yeah or with a partner and probably just by herself yeah so then uh, then I'd my advice is to masturbate along with your partner but then um, if that's uh, difficult or new you can like find like ways to ease into it mm -hmm. so for example if it's if you find it's um, if you'd rather like not the person looking at you or the lights off or like find ways to make it feel comfortable to is into that together. Yeah. Um, and you definitely have to be able to talk about this. Like you have to be able to talk about what you want, what feels good. Yeah, because if you're fine by yourself, what are you doing and how can that be incorporated into, you know, like uh, sex with a partner? Yeah, definitely. And maybe, yeah, so you can teach your partner uh, how do you do it yourself, whether you use toys or, by, or, no, or not. But you sort of, yeah, have a little sex ed <laughs> with your definitely. partner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Which can be really hot. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, well, I hope uh, this is useful for you. Um, but it really does sound, though, that it's the person, when the partner is there, yeah, that's when it's more difficult. Yeah. And I think just reading from this question, it sounds like you have a long-distance relationship. You're trying to decide if you want to be with this person long-term and you, ha you want to be able to climax when you're with your partner, um, which if you're apart a lot, then maybe there's a lot of pressure when you get together and you don't have that kind of daily time to get to know each other, uh, you know, like <gasps> each other's bodies. But does this mean that this person might really benefit from phone sex? <laughs> I mean, it depends because, you know, like people have different things that turn them on. Like some people it's visuals, some people it's audio, some people it's, you know, they have an amazing imagination. Um, so it depends. I mean, it might have to be video sex. Yeah. It sounds like there's like a great range of um, possibilities to explore here. Yeah. A lot of things just you have to um, work towards them over time. And like the more you get to know someone and know their body and know what they like, I mean, this, this, your partner should be caring about what you like in your body and you know it shouldn't just be like penetrative sex uh 
and then expect that everything's going to be great for both of you. I don't think that's... Oh, suggestion. Mm -hmm. Another suggestion. You could also use, like, if you know you're meeting up from time to time, you can use sort of the, the in-between time. As, like, think of it more as, like, foreplay or something as well. So it's actually, it's not like when you meet, that's when it's, like, a sexual connection and not in-between, because that can be really weird if yeah. it's, like, two months and, oh, okay, uh, now this is happening. Yeah. Okay, so you can let us know, you know, by asking another question if we didn't, uh, you know, thoroughly address everything, um, and then we can answer it next week or the time after. So we are, we are actually going through all your questions, and um, yeah, so stay tuned because we'll go through them all, but I think it's time to wrap mm -hmm. it up. But please send more questions. Yep. Um, and keep tuning in because next time we will talk about tips for coping with the instability of being an artist, um, finding, or better yet, finding uh, stability in a world of unknowns. And then another question that we have that we didn't get to is what do you think of polyamory? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, yeah, and send us more questions yep. um, and feedback. Thank Thanks you. for tuning in. Bye. Bye.